0: I invite you to open with me the Word of God this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And today we'd like to consider the fear of God versus the spirit of fear. And we tried to begin a consideration of fear together and uh, not just examining fear, but what are the ways that we, according to the Word of God, can can conquer fear. And we want to look at the two contrasting opposites. The, the two types of fear, I would say there's only really two types of fear in, in the world today, and that's the fear of God and then the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear manifests itself in multiple different ways that we hope to consider in the weeks to come, Lord willing, um, fear of the unknown and fear of being overwhelmed and fear of man and uh, fear of death, just to name a few. But at the end of the day, there's two types of fear that we are walking in on a daily basis. the fear of God and then the natural, fleshly, carnal spirit of fear. Second Timothy chapter one and in verse seven. <clears throat> "For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love and of a sound mind and here you have three particular remedies for the spirit of fear but notice the origin of the spirit of fear the origin of the spirit of fear does it come from God right for God has not given us the spirit of fear first of all I want to focus on the on the fear of God We'll we'll probably consider this in a lot greater depth in the future um, But we'd like to introduce these thoughts together. Um, Let's go first to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I feel like this is a a verse that's probably very, very familiar to us, or at least it should be. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And Solomon says here, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Now Solomon is at the latter portion of his life, and he's fallen into sin and apostasy by him Uh, he's going to say here by the way let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter fear God and keep his commandments because that's the whole duty of man and uh, later in his life Solomon did not follow that commandment right he ceased to fear God he ceased to fear Jehovah God because he was enticed to be worshipping all these false idols and he was certainly not obeying the commandments of God by worshiping false idols and and indulging in all of the um, sinfulness that the world had to offer Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13 what's what's his summary of all that he spent this entire book talking about how miserable everything uh, life under the sun is, life under the sun is just vanity and vexation of spirit there's no good, there's no profit under the sun, there's a lot of prophet above the sun, right? Uh, Because for God's children, we have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. But below the sun, though, if our focus is solely on everything below the sun, not only are you going to be just as miserable as Solomon was writing the Ecclesiastes, I guarantee you that that spirit of fear is going to take a strong foothold if our vision is always On the things of the world. So he he writes here, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He knew it anyway, right? He, He knew this anyway, even before he indulged in all of these mistakes and sins later in his life. But now he's being reminded of certainly what he already knew. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of man. That's the whole duty of man. So let's back all the way back up to the the Garden of Eden, right? Um, Man was created. Man was created to fear God and keep His commandments. And when Adam and Eve were in that righteous state that they were in before the fall, they had a perfect communion and 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 fellowship with god and they walked with the lord in the cool of the day in the garden of eden now uh praise god that is i believe at least in a figurative sense that's where we will be returning to in heaven <laughs> if you want to think about heaven think about heaven like that walking with the lord and fellowship in peaceful communion in the cool of the day Uh, And that's where we will be returning to because Christ came into the world to die for our sins. But I'm sure you know the story there that what happened, he gave them a command to obey. They chose to disobey that commandment. So they chose to do the opposite of their duty, right? What's the whole duty of man? Fear God and keep his commandments. They chose to do the opposite of what God created them to do. And do you know what all of a sudden crept in? There in the garden, after they did not reverence God by obeying his commandments, and I, I want to make sure we, we connect those two, right? Because uh, we can't say that I, that I reverence God, I fear God, but I just totally disobey all of his commandments. No, if you're disobeying God, you're not walking in the fear of the Lord, right? So their disobedience was a reproach against their fear of the Lord, right? So they were not fearing the Lord, they disobeyed. And then what immediately happens, you see, they were they were naked, didn't have any clothing, but they were, they were not ashamed. Why? Because they were in perfect reverence and fear of the Lord. But what happened when a disobedience of God's commandments crept in? What happened when sin crept in? Now, all of a sudden, when... God showed up for their daily walk in the cool of the day. <laughs> what happens? Now they're afraid. Afraid. That's the first mention of fear in the Word of God. And where did it stem from? Disobedience of God's commandments. And now all of a sudden, because of my disobedience, I am not walking in reverential love and, and fellowship with the Lord. Instead, now I'm afraid of God. Because the natural spirit of fear is crept in. I want to make sure we make that distinction as well. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, we're not talking about being afraid and being in terror of the Lord. I think about it like this. Um, it, uh, it describes in... Um, let's go ahead and go over to Hebrews chapter 12 because it, it references this in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Um, the contrast between... Mount Sinai and then Mount Zion. So Mount Mount Sinai, now <laughs> there's a reason why they were a little bit nervous and scared uh because of all those thundering is the lightnings on Mount Sinai. Because while Moses was up in the mount, they were not obeying God's commandments, right? So that's part of the reason why Mount Sinai was so was so terrifying, is because they were down at the bottom of the mount and they, they were not obeying God's commandments. But he says here that We are not coming to Mount Sinai In other words we, we, don't, we don't We're not just shaking in With terror from the Lord Now he is a consuming fire And he uh, Has all power in heaven and earth And our reverence Is not that we're afraid Of God Okay, Because I hope That you view the Lord As your loving heavenly father And we're not afraid of of our father that we know loves us right we're not afraid of him but there is a reverence and a respect that is due to that father and really it's a reverential love I want to think about that today a reverential love of God so we're not necessarily afraid of God in the sense of this natural spirit of fear that unfortunately resonate with so well instead we're not afraid to approach unto Mount Sinai Instead, we approach unto Mount Zion that we know that the Lord will receive us and bless his people. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, and it, it discusses that contrast between just the terror of Mount Sinai and then the joyfulness with which we approach Mount Zion. But notice this verse. After the conclusion of that discussion, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 28, wherefore are we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved? That's Mount Zion. A kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and fear. So we have confidence and boldness to approach into Mount Zion not being terrified of the Lord but instead a reverential love and fear of the Lord. <clears throat> it says in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12, uh, Now Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee? Okay. What does the Lord require of thee? What's the whole duty of man? Fear God and keep His commandments. What does the Lord require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways, to love Him, and to serve the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, and with all thy soul. Now, what's the whole duty of man? Fear God is keep keep His commandments. What's the grace commandment? To love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Right. So there's there's this connection between a fear and a reverence of God, and then a love of God. Okay. And that, I want us to think about the fear of God as a as a reverential love. Because ultimately, God is our heavenly Father, and the type of respect and reverence that we show him is not looking at um, a, a judge that has um, a taser ready to zap you anytime you get a little bit out of line. Now, if I have to have chastisement, it's chastisement that the Heavenly Father gives me in love to bring me back to obedience to His commandments. Okay? So I'm not afraid that if I make one mistake, He's going to punish me. No, because it's all bathed in love. It's all bathed in love. Okay? But notice the connection here between love... And fear, a reverential fear, a reverential love. Now, I hope that you have this relationship with your father. If you don't, um, I hope the Lord will bless you to have some father figures, even if that's, uh, if you don't have as close of a relationship with your natural father. But I hope the kind of relationship that you have with the Lord is that I'm not afraid of him just punishing me because I make a mistake. Instead, I have a a desire to reverence and respect him because I love him so much. I love my father. I love my heavenly father. And I I see how much he loved me by sending his only son to die for me. And the greatest commandment is to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. Okay? And then I, because of the love that he's shown for me, I'm going to show him due benevolence and respect in honoring the commandments that he gave to me. Okay? So therefore, what is the what's the basis of my obedience? Now well, think about that. Fear God and keep his <coughs> commandments. Why am I obedient to the commandment to the commands of God? It's not because I'm afraid that he's going to inflict some, some harsh punishment on me, that he's not a judge that is waiting to punish me and inflict pain on me anytime I make a little bitty mistake. If that's your view of the Lord, please spend more time in the Scriptures. Right. Oh, he's so loving. He's so merciful. He's so long-suffering toward us. Okay. So your view of God and your view of the fear of God should not be that I'm having to just look over my shoulder all the time and if I make one little bitty mistake, He's going to punish me because of just vengeance and judgment. Now, He may chastise you, but that chastisement is to bring you into joyful obedience. Okay? So when I look at the Lord, my fear of Him is not making sure that I never make a mistake because I'm afraid of the sword of judgment. Instead, I love Him and I respect the Lord so much and that reverential authority that He has, that's the reason I desire to obey Him. Right? The fear of the Lord. And you notice that connection there between the fear of the Lord, obeying the commandments of God, and the ultimate commandment is to love God. Right, So a reverential love of the Lord. And the more that you love the Lord, the more that you love the Lord, the more that you conform, the more you fear the Lord, the more your thinking conforms to God's thinking. The more your perspective conforms to God's perspective and and His commandments. So therefore... Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 13. The fear of the Lord is what? What's one of the definitions of the fear of the Lord according to the word of God? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil and also to hate pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. You see, those are things that are in contradiction to the commandments of God, and if I fear the Lord and I reverence the Lord, then I am going to be have a desire to be obedient to His commandments, and not just do I want to just be obedient to the commandments because of my desire for compliance. I understand how much sin the heart of God how much sin breaks the heart of our Heavenly Father and therefore I don't just want to be obedient myself with a righteous indignation I hate sin with a righteous indignation I hate when I see all of the wickedness and the disobedience of God's commandments in the world around me so the fear of the Lord guides us to hate evil to hate pride to hate arrogancy the evil way and the froward mouth. Okay. The fear of the Lord causes us to mold ourselves more closely to to just simply God, right? The more we love Him, the more we reverence Him, the closer we will walk with Him. Um, So we think about this contrast. This is, at the end of the day, this is really the question. This is really the question that we have to uh, have an honest evaluation, honest answer to. Which one of these fears controls our daily decision making and to a large degree controls our life? Does the fear of the Lord control our decision making or does this natural spirit of fear control our decision making? Now, here's why this matters. Here's why this matters. It's because if you let all of these fears of the world be the primary deciding factor (coughs) of the decisions you make, inevitably you will have to compromise obedience to the Lord and the fear of the Lord. Okay? Let's say the fear of man. (coughs) The fear of man, you know. There's nobody that is... Fully immune from from peer pressure, right? Despite your age, nobody's immune from that. Nobody likes uh, to necessarily stand out in a, in a crowd, especially if that causes you to be the center of a lot of mocking and jokes and derogatory comments. No one, no one enjoys that. But listen, if your primary deciding factor in the decisions that you make is that I am so afraid of people thinking negatively of me. I'm so afraid of other people's opinions of me that anytime someone asks me to do something I'm just going to conform to what they ask me to do because I'm afraid of what they may think about me. You are going to feel pulled in a in hundred different directions because a hundred different people are going to expect a hundred different things of you, okay? If the, your primary deciding factor is the fear of man, then it's going to be very, very difficult for you to have the peace that comes with the fear of the Lord, okay? You know, something the Apostle Paul said, this is in uh, Acts chapter 24 and in verse 16 in one of his sermons um, to the leaders there in the book of Acts. Some, one phrase that he mentioned there is he says, I exercise myself. That means he had to work at it. This, this does not come natural. This does not come easy. Um, the fear of the Lord is the evidence of a child of God, Right? child of God is the only one after the fall we were made uh, we were made originally to reverence God and to fear God but after the fall after Adam's sin the fear and the reverence of God does not come naturally in this world where does it come from now it comes from the spirit of God in regeneration there's no fear of God before the eyes of the wicked so the fear of God is the evidence of a child of God but The Apostle Paul said there that even though I have the fear of God, I mean, all of us that have been born again, we we have a reverence of God, right? But the question is, are we walking primarily in the fear of the Lord on a daily basis? Are we letting all these fears consume us to such a degree that it diminishes our love of the Lord and also the connection there between uh, uh, Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12? Fear of the Lord, loving the Lord, and then serving the Lord. Serving the Lord in reverence and fear. Ser- service is how we work out that love that we have of the Lord. Okay? <coughs> but Paul said there in Acts chapter 24 and verse 16, I exercise myself. That means it doesn't come easy. <laughs> Anybody amen that? I can. That doesn't come easy. I exercise myself that I always wanna have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. And boy, that's a difficult thing to do, isn't it? I exercise myself that I wanna have a clean conscience when I go to bed at night. And there've been many times that I've been in a position that I could have spoken up when I was in the workplace or in other settings I could have spoken up. Things were either being done that are not not appropriate or maybe just casual conversation that in, in hindsight and in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I should have stood up in that moment to defend the honor of my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ even in that casual conversation. And the Holy Spirit, if you, if you sit on your hands when maybe you shouldn't, the Holy Spirit will let you know about that. The Holy Spirit's good like that. But our goal on a daily basis should be to have a conscience that is void of offense. And notice, first of all, toward God. First of all, toward God. But you know what? I can also still have, even, think about the Apostle Paul. They were men, our conscience cannot be dictated by a desire to have everybody like us. Okay? That cannot be our controlling decision-making factor. Because if you serve the Lord faithfully, everybody will not like you. That's a guarantee. That's a guarantee. So if if you're going to compromise the truth of God's Word, His commandments, and the fear of the Lord because of what somebody might think about you Let's just get down to brass tacks. This is why it hurts. In that moment, I am fearing and reverencing the opinion of a man greater than I'm fearing and reverencing the name of God and the fear of the Lord. Okay? That's the the reality of that decision. I'm more concerned about the approval of this person than I'm more concerned about the approval of God. That's the reality of that decision-making. And, you know, if you are put in a position to have to make a decision that is going to make certain people upset, okay, and that, those are hard decisions to make. But you know what? It's the right thing to do. The Lord is guiding you and he's convicting you and he's giving you clarity that it is the right thing to do. And if you push through that fear that is inevitable to creep in and you do the right thing, even when it's hard, your conscience is definitely going to be right before God when you go to sleep. But you want to know the other thing? I also know, even even after I make that decision, if somebody looks at me and every time that they look at me, they just grit their teeth and they say, I can't believe I I hate that guy. I can't believe he did such and such. You know what? If I know that I did the right thing before the Lord, not only can I have a conscious void of offense before God, I can also have a conscious void of, of offense before men too. Because you know what? Just because somebody disagrees with my decision, if that's the right thing to do, it's hard to make that decision. Now, I will also caution you. Don't let that kind of an attitude, don't let pride creep in. <laughs> where you think that you're the only person that's right, I'm the only person that's serving the Lord, everybody else is wrong when I'm making decisions that are contradictory to the Word of God. Because we can let that kind of attitude creep in too, that I think I'm the only person serving the Lord, and actually I'm acting contradictory to the Word of God. Okay. But I tell you, sometimes we are called to make hard decisions you make hard decisions you're not going to make everybody happy now the apostle paul is also not saying here that he didn't make mistakes <laughs> he was a sinner just like us he felt to be the chief of sinners so when he says he had a conscience void of offense before god and men there were times he offended men because he sinned just like we did but you don't know how you have a conscience void of offense before god and men even though you make mistakes you don't know how the holy spirit is going to convict you But I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. You want to know what you do? You go and you ask them for forgiveness. That's how you have a conscience. Void of offense before God and before men. But what is going to be the primary deciding factor that dictates my decisions on a daily basis? What's going to be the deciding factor? Is it going to be a fear of the approval of men or a fear of the repercussions of men or is it just simply being afraid of all the terrors of what might happen you know if we take that too far the fear of the unknown if we take the fear of might (coughs) too far we'd never leave the house i mean i don't like to think about it too much but It's true that, you know, David was running from uh, Saul, and literally anywhere he went, uh, he could have been killed. Thankfully, none of us are in that situation. But it's true that what David wrote through the Holy Spirit, there's but a a step between me and death. I mean, I don't don't want to think about that often, but uh, there's three feet between me and death every time I decide to get in a vehicle and go somewhere, right? Right. Uh, I don't like to think about it very often. Uh, fortunately I'm reminded of it when people have tragic car wrecks, you know, but that's not, just because there's a possibility that something could happen doesn't mean that I'm not gonna drive somewhere, right? I can make appropriate precautions, drive the speed limit, drive on my side of the road, and, and uh, make sure I stop at stop signs and, you know, stop at red lights. I can make appropriate decisions and not be consumed by the fear of what might happen and, and maybe even that fear of what might happen maybe a, a fear of physical harm or something there's a place for precautions but if we take that too far we we're not going to serve the Lord we're not going to serve the Lord because we're going to live in a paralysis of fear you want to know what you need to do instead instead of being afraid to get in the car <laughs> You fear the Lord by saying, Lord. By the way, uh, it's in Psalms. I'll look it up here in just a minute. The angel of the Lord encamps, round about who? Round about who? Those that fear him. Those that fear him. You don't need to be terrified to get in your vehicle. Why? <laughs> because if you're walking in the fear of the Lord, you know, I don't know. I don't know how angelic assignments work (laughs) you know I don't necessarily think I have an individual angel Um, but my hope is that if I'm walking in the fear of the Lord that there are angels traveling with me every time I'm on the road right that's my hope if I'm walking in the fear of the Lord God promised us that the angel of the Lord is going to encamp and by the way encamp gives the idea of more than one right It, it gives the idea of protection from all directions. So if we're walking in the fear of the Lord, don't be afraid of all these things, all the bugaboos, all this stuff that might happen. You want to know who's going to take care of you? The Lord and His angels are going to take care of you. Now, that's not a guarantee that bad things are never going to happen, right? Sometimes the Lord suffers bad things to happen, but you want to know what He's going to give you? If that does happen, He's going to give you grace sufficient to deal with that situation. So, Apostle Paul said, I have a conscience void of offense. Even though I chose in this situation to reverence and honor God, even though it was contrary to the opinions of other people or any other fear that could fall into that bucket, I I made the decision to honor God instead of being afraid of men And at the end of the day, my goal is to have a conscience that is void of offense. That I know that I did the right thing and I honored the Lord even when it was hard. And even though those men, there were people that because of his service to the Lord and his fear of the Lord, everywhere Paul went they wanted to stone him to death. Don't you think about that. Having a having a conscience that is void of offense before men does not imply that everybody likes you, right? Because the Apostle Paul said, I have a conscience that's void of offense before men, and there were men that chose that we are going to, they they failed in this this oath, but they said we are not going to eat or drink until he's dead. That's how much they hated him. They tried to stone him everywhere he went. Having a conscious void of offense before men doesn't mean that everyone's going to like you. Instead, actually, if you let your light shine bright enough, Jesus said the world's going to hate you. If it hated me, it's going to hate you. Okay? So at the end of the day, when I lay down at night and I said my prayers, do I have a conviction and a burden that, you know what, I let other factors dictate my decision-making today? and I did things I shouldn't have done? Or can I say with a a clear conscience, I've done my best to fear the Lord in my decision-making today, even though it was hard, even though it was difficult? Because the more we let that natural fear creep in, it will lead us not just to sin, it will lead us to sin, but it will lead us... To a diminished service to God in the kingdom. Okay, I want to go to the book of Nehemiah real quickly. Uh, we just recently concluded give a good bit of time in the book of Nehemiah, and I don't know if these verses stood out to you when we were in there, but I want to bring them to your attention because I think they really highlight not just the reality of the way that fear can cripple us in service to God, but the reason why Satan if you remember this from the book of Nehemiah, Satan was behind all of these attacks. This is a spiritual warfare that we're in. And there's much more to be said about that spiritual warfare. You need to have on your whole armor of God. Uh, You need to uh, have on the helmet of salvation. You need to have the uh, sword of the Spirit. You need to have the shield of faith. Uh, All those things, all the the components of the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6. But listen, Satan wants to use fear as a foothold to control your life, to cripple your peace, and ultimately, if he can do that, he will cripple your service to God. Okay? So Satan was working through Sambalat, Tobiah, and all these wicked people. And you remember the great work that God did, right? The great work that God moved in these men to perform in the book of Nehemiah but satan was trying to use threats and fear to get them to stop the great work that god was calling them to do so don't miss that number 1 these are men that god or these are men that satan is manipulating to try to get god's people to fear to stop the work but who's behind it Satan's behind it. Where does the spirit of fear come from? It doesn't come from God. Where does the spirit of fear come from? It comes from Satan. It comes from our flesh. I want to highlight a couple of verses here that, that really highlight Satan's desire to make you afraid. Because if he can do that, he is going to diminish your effectiveness in service to God in the kingdom. Nehemiah chapter 6. And they threatened them, if you remember. We talked about this. This particular section is talking about slander. Nobody likes to have false things said about them. They they, uh, threatened physical harm. Uh, They slandered them. They mocked them. And this was the the intent behind that. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9. For they all made us afraid, their desires to make us afraid, for what intent? Saying their hands shall be weakened from the work and it shall not be done right my desire is to make God's people afraid they're doing this great work in service to God and if we can get them terrified of a jillion different things then they are gonna take their eyes off the ball they're gonna take their eyes off their goal which is what happened to generations before in multiple attempts of rebuilding the wall and rebuilding the temple they got scared by governmental authorities they got scared by the threats of the wicked they took their eyes off the ball and things things just were left un, unbuilt for generations why because they let fear control their decision making now he looked he looked these wicked people in the eye and he said i know that you are trying to make me afraid so my hands would be weakened so what was his response to that prayer Now, therefore, O Lord, strengthen my hands. (laughs) Lord, give me boldness. Give me faith to look these people in the eye that are trying to make me afraid to diminish the work in the kingdom and give me strength to not be afraid. Verse 13. Then they hired people to threaten them. Therefore, was he hired that I should be afraid And in do so, sin that they may have a matter for evil report and approach me. In this particular instance, uh, they were trying to get him to flee for refuge (laughs) into the temple. And it would have been directly contradictory to the commands of God for him to do that. It would have been sin. But you want to know the best way, say, in Satan's mind, what's the best way to get God's people to sin? Get them afraid. Get them afraid. And you know what? They're going to... Because what, there's a lot of things that happen when we get afraid. Our, our mind does not think through the things that we that we have bedrock knowledge of. And and Nehemiah knew that he wasn't allowed to go in the temple. He knew that. But what was Satan's goal? To get him so confused and afraid in that moment that he forgot that that was the command of the Lord and he didn't have that catch in his head that said, no, I'm not going to do that because that's contrary to the commandments of God. And I'll tell you, when, when we get all worked up in our Blood pressure goes up, and everything else is uh, just in a natural sense. When everything else is dialed up, your brain's not functioning the way it normally does. When when your your blood pressure and your heart rates at a normal level, right? I know I'm not allowed to go into the temple, but the hope is that if I can get him afraid, he's going to forget that in the moment. He's going to flee into the temple. He's going to sin, and now it's not just slander that we can have against him; it's a legitimate offense. Okay. And then in verse 19, And then they reported his good deeds before me and uttered my words before him. And Tobiah sent me letters to put me in fear. These are just idle threats. Remember that? He wrote wrote these letters that were idle threats. They had no ability to back them up. But why were the wicked threatening God's people? Why? To get them afraid. To get them afraid. because Satan knows all too well that if God's people are walking around in terror instead of walking in peace and boldness and faith and a reverence and trust of God then they're not going to be very useful in the kingdom they're not going to be very useful in the kingdom so what's our prayer? Oh Lord, strengthen our hands. Right? Isaiah 35, verse 3. Strengthen ye the weak knees and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart. You know? Have <laughs> you ever been in those situations where your knees are literally buckling, you know? I, I have. <laughs> I have uh, I'm, I'm very this is a very relevant topic to me I'm very timid by nature uh, I let the the fear of many things control my thinking control my actions way way more than they should this is a daily <laughs> the Apostle Paul said I exercise myself it is a daily exercise to control your thoughts and to not let that natural fear creep in instead to walk in the fear of the Lord. It's a it's difficult daily exercise, okay? Strengthen ye the weak knees. Now, l- let me, let's just think practically. How useful are you going to be in the kingdom of God if you've got weak knees that you can't even stand up when you're called to run your race with patience, to walk? If, you're, if your knees are so weak you can't even stand up, you're probably not going to be doing much walking. Your sure ain't going to be doing any running, right? So what happens? How, how can I run a race with patience? Lord, strengthen my weak knees. And guess what? We all got weak knees. <laughs> we all do. We all got weak knees. Lord, please strengthen my weak knees and confirm the feeble hands. Oh, my, my hands feel so feeble in service to the Lord. But you know what? He can take... Weak little hands and do pretty pretty powerful things with them, right? Strengthen ye the weak knees and confirm or strengthen you the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, What's What's the remedy for a fearful heart? Be strong and fear not. Why? Because your God will come with a vengeance. Even God will recompense. He will come and save you. God's gonna God's gonna give you strength, you see? That's the reason we can be strong and fear not. Okay. Spirit of fear. The effects of the spirit of fear. Romans chapter 8. Actually, yeah, let's go to Romans chapter 8 first. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Who are the only people that that reverence, fear the Lord on a daily basis? Children of God that have been born again by the Spirit of God, right? Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But what's that contrasted with? So over here, you have the fear of God and the spirit of adoption. Over here, you have the spirit of fear and bondage. Okay? What's the remedy for the spirit of bondage? The spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit is? God. The Holy Spirit is God. So, what's your remedy for that? What's your remedy for the spirit of bondage? What's, your, uh, what's, what's God's uh, consistent role for his people? Not just in the eternity, but in time. He liberates His people from bondage. Right? He is with the Spirit of God. There is liberty. There's liberty. There's not bondage. John chapter 8. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. The truth of God gives you freedom and liberty, not bondage. But boy, if you've ever been entangled, you know, think about kudzu. (laughs) And uh, the way... That some things you just get inside of it, like cuts, it, and it just tangles you up, and, and then you just you just can't move. You just you're just paralyzed because you can't move. And if you are letting fifteen different people people's opinions dictate your decision making, you are going to be in bondage. And from 1 John chapter four and verse eighteen, you are going to be in torment. I mean, if, you're, if the peace of your conscience is being dictated by the opinions of men instead of the fear of the Lord, then your conscience will never be at peace. It will never be fully at peace. You want to know what gives peace for your conscience? Saying, I'm going to fear the Lord first and I'm going to exhibit love to those that I disagree with going to be kind and gracious even when we are at, at an impasse, but you know what? I'm going to fear the Lord first. And when you do that, you may go to bed and there may be some other people that can't sleep because they hate you so much. But you are going to be able to have a conscience that it's at peace with God and you're going to sleep just fine that night. What's the remedy for torment? What's the remedy for the torment that the spirit of fear inflicts on God's people? 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18. You know what the remedy is? Love. We'll right back to fear God and do what? Keep His commandments. What's the greatest commandment? Love God. Right? We'll right back to the, to the simplistic teaching fear God and keep His commandments. 1 John 4 Verse 18, there's no fear in love. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. And he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Okay? Now, we have a carnal nature about us that these thoughts of fear, they just pop in your head. I mean, it's not wrong, as we discussed last week. God gave us the physical response of heightened alertness in a very limited sense to be beneficial for us. Okay, So there's not anything wrong with those thoughts and that initial response happening. But if you don't control those thoughts and you don't replace that with the fear of the Lord, you will be in torment. I can amen that. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I sure have. You will be in torment. Okay? But what's the remedy for that? I recognize, and also, what's the the remedy? God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I can, I, I can recognize that. My, my brain is, is in tune with the Word of God. My spirit is in tune with the Word of God. And I have enough spiritual wisdom to recognize that when it comes and identify it and then not just identify it but then say I'm going to choose to not let that cancerous thought fester. Instead, I'm going to grab it. I'm going to bring it into captivity. I'm going to control it and I'm going to replace it with the fear of the Lord. Now that's the spiritual discipline we have to go through on a daily basis because those thoughts are going to pop in quick. And you have to have a sound mind and spiritual wisdom to be able to catch it and replace it with the fear of the Lord. Okay? So at the end of the day, the fear of the Lord versus the spirit of fear... If we're letting the fear of the unknown, the fear of men, the fear of governmental authorities, the fear of being consumed and overwhelmed, even the fear of death, if we're letting those things control our decision making, you're going to feel torn in all these different directions. It's going to create bondage. It's going to create torment. Okay. Now, what is the effect of the fear of God? You know, it says um, when, when Jesus is talking about the straight gate and the narrow way, what's the end result of that? It leads unto life, right? What's the end result of the broad way? What does it? What does it lead to? It's to death, right? Now we see what the end result of the spirit of fear is, right? Bondage, torment. Um, never being at peace never being at peace Uh, and actually um, this is something and I think that Satan probably knows this um, that the Lord told this is in Deuteronomy 28 the Lord told um, Israel in those chapters that if you're obedient I'm going to bless you more than you can can imagine but if you're disobedient I'm going to chastise you and what's one of those aspects of chastisement that He gave him there in Deuteronomy 28? This is verse 65. Among these nations, thou shalt find no ease. If you, if you choose to let the fear of the world and the fear of man dictate your decisions, this is what the chastisement of the Lord feels like. He told them this. That if you, if you choose to fear these nations instead of fearing me, Then as a judgment, you're going to find no ease. The sole of your foot is going to have no rest. The Lord shall give thee a trembling heart and a failing of the eyes and a sorrow of mind and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee and thou shalt fear day and night and have none assurance of thy life. That's torment, isn't it? That's torment. But you want to know what happens when we walk in the fear of the Lord? I'm just going to read these off quickly because these are so beautiful. Um, this is such a big topic. Uh, we'd like to spend a lot more time on the fear of the Lord. First of all, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. beginning of wisdom. We talked about a sound mind. You want to know where a sound mind starts with In spiritual wisdom? It starts with the fear of the Lord, which also... To, to be able to display that kind of spiritual wisdom, you have to have a spiritually sound mind to not let the, your manner of thinking be influenced by the world. Instead, it's influenced by the Word of God. Okay? You have to be able to think scripturally. You have to have a sound mind and spiritual wisdom to be able to think scripturally even in a situation where other people may not be thinking scripturally. Okay? That's what it means by having a sound mind. Spiritual wisdom. <clears throat> Look at all these beautiful promises for those who fear the Lord. Psalm 25, verse 12 and 13. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. Well, that's a stark contrast from the bondage and the torment of the spirit of fear, right? Your soul is not in torments day and night. Instead, your soul is at ease. Even when men have covenanted to try to kill you like the Apostle Paul. You know what? He feared the Lord. His soul was at ease. And he, even though he's sleeping in prison, he still slept like a baby. God's goodness is bestowed upon them. Psalm 31, verse 19. Oh, how great is thy goodness which thou hast laid up for them that fear him, Psalm 103, verse 17. How great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee? You know, not just has God given you goodness, but it's stored up for you. <laughs> it's stored up, and He's ready to open the windows of heaven to give it to you. No lack, no need. 34, uh, Psalm 34, verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye His saints, for there is no want to them that fear. There's no lack. They don't stand in need of of anything that they need. Because why? Because they fear him. Psalm 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. We talked about the straight gate. What's the straight gate uh, characterized by? Obedience to God's commandments. Where does it end? Life. So the end of the fear of the Lord is life. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And he that hath it shall abide satisfied shall abide satisfied. The eye of the Lord is upon them. Psalm 33, verse 18. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in His mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. That's a good place to be if the Lord is keeping you as the apple of His eye. Right? (laughs) Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear Him and delivereth them. <laughs> They're not just there. But God's angels will deliver you. Psalm, uh, excuse me, Proverbs 22, verse 4. By humility and fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Riches, true riches, spiritual riches in the kingdom of God. Fear, the fear of the Lord, produces riches, honor, and life. Contentment. Proverbs 15 and verse 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. God will give you contentment walking in the fear of the Lord, even if other people in a material sense, you know, they may have a little bit more than you, but also they may have stomach ulcers because of all the debt that you don't know that they have. (laughs) They give the pretense they have a lot more than you, but really they're just underwater in all their debt fear of the Lord is going to give you a contentment with what He's been gracious to give you. Proverbs 10 verse 27 The fear of the Lord prolongeth days but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. There's a lot to be said for that. Not just the physical sense. You know, uh, stress and fear and all that stuff, it can definitely take years off your life. High blood pressure can take take years off your life. But also, the fear of the Lord will lead you to obey your parents. And that's a promise that if you obey your parents, your life will be long upon the earth. Okay, a few more. Psalm 112, verse 1. Praise you the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord that delighteth greatly in his commandments. Fear of the Lord and the commandments of the Lord, right? His seed shall be mighty upon the earth, The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. True riches. And then Proverbs 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. You see, the end result of the fear of the Lord is walking in the abundant life. It's life, but it's the fullness of that life. It's the abundance of that life. And boy, there's nothing that will just sap and quench the joy and the peace that we have and walking the, in the abundant life then letting that natural fear go unchecked by replacing it with the fear of the Lord. A reverential love of the Lord following the greatest commandment to love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And if we're blessed to do that, oh man, that, that is a small sampling. Boy, they're all throughout the Word of God. You can look them up on your own. But look at all of those blessed promises for those that fear the Lord. That's a state that we want to be in. Right? Those are the states that we desire to be in. And we do that by taking into captivity those thoughts that inevitably creep in with a sound mind, spiritual wisdom, praying that the Lord would give us strength, for our fearful heart and our weak knees and our feeble hands, that he would give us strength. And Lord, just bless me to walk in the fear of the Lord every day. Walk in the fear of the Lord every day and don't be consumed with the fears of everything else. They're going to creep in, but mortify them by replacing it with the fear of the Lord. If you walk in the fear of the Lord every day, that is going to lead you to life, to peace and that your soul will dwell at ease. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.